Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. And we're just going to go straight into it. Uh, No need to hear me gabbing around anymore this week. Uh, Next two chapters of Outdweller, Glimmervale number two, chapters 11 and 12, On the Way, written by me, Read by Kevin Sapp. And uh, since you're tuning in, I presume you've been following along the book so far um, already. If you haven't been, go back a few episodes and start with chapter one. That seems to make sense to me. Anyway, hopefully you enjoy it. I'll talk to you guys on the flip side after the chapters. 11. Hot Pursuit Tracking Lauren down was harder than Julian thought it would be. He was not at the Orlock. When asked, Molly shrugged and replied that he had gone to City Hall, but there was no sign of him there either. In fact, the clerks on duty had not seen him since his meeting with Mayor Brimley on the previous day. That put Julian's hackles up. There seemed no reason to lie about where he was going, not to his innkeeper at least. What was Lauren up to? He did say he was in town on magisterium business, Radrick said as they departed City Hall. I know Melanie said not to worry, but... He left the rest unsaid. Julian could not stop the icy ball of fear from forming in his belly. He did not need to ask. Neither of them did. With unspoken resolve, they turned left toward the outskirts of town and Melanie's shop. And found it locked up, closed for the day. Julian stared at the shop door and the little closed sign hanging in the window, and that little ball of ice grew larger. He glanced up at the sun, about halfway down toward its resting place in the east. It was still relatively early in the afternoon, far too early to have ended business for the day, and Melanie was meticulous about her business. Where was she? I don't like this. Radrick nodded agreement. You don't think he's taken her? Julian paused. What does the Magisterium do when they catch... He let the thought go. You know as much about their procedures as I do, Julian. Radrick's tone was solemn, in the way he got when he was trying a little too hard to be comforting. So, nothing, in other words. Julian turned on his heel and strode back toward Main Street. After a few strides, he realized he was more stalking than walking and forced himself to slow to a more normal pace, but it was tough. He felt as though he was about to jump out of his skin, anxious as he was becoming. I'm sure she's fine. Radrick had to hurry to catch up, despite having the advantage of longer legs. She's more than capable of... You think I don't know that? Julian winced inwardly at his own tone. He did not need to be snapping like that. Radrick did not reply, but walked at his side, his expression serious, focused. They turned right onto Main Street and passed several crossing streets before Julian began to think about where he was leading them. Where would a mage go who had captured an enemy of the Magisterium? Maybe to the local constabulary? No, he would not trust them with this, or even the local judge. This was an internal magisterium matter, and the magisterium answered to the king, but few others. Lauren would bundle up his prisoner and get her out of sight, 
or just leave town immediately. He had not departed yet, though. Julian was certain he would not leave his inn bill unpaid, so there was still time to rescue Melanie. Maybe. They passed City Hall and continued down Main Street. All around, the people went about their business with an air of wariness. Furtive glances down each side street and between buildings. People walking in clusters more than singly. Children who normally would have been allowed to roam freely kept within arm's reach of their mothers. The town was on edge, even more so than it had been this morning. In his own nervousness about Melanie, Julian had failed to notice it, but a patina of fear lay over everyone. The rumors must have spread, and in spreading, multiplied as rumors do. And we don't have a clue still, Julian muttered under his breath. He came to a halt. Radric stopped next to him, a questioning eyebrow quirked upward. Julian sighed. This isn't accomplishing anything, he said. If he's taken her, we won't be able to get her back from him. It was like a knife in the gut admitting that, but it was true. The only reason they had managed to overcome Eisenhoff's mage ally was Melanie had lent her own skills to the fight. Without some form of magical backup, Lauren would wipe the floor with them. Maybe we should... He stopped speaking as a figure caught his eye down the street. Slender and small, in loose-fitting dark clothing that was almost a robe, the figure had dark skin and black hair, and bore a staff in his right hand. Lauren. He was walking toward them from the edge of town, where Main Street became the dirt road leading to the old ranger station. Maybe we should go say hello, Radric said, not quite finishing Julian's original thought. Julian nodded agreement. Let's. They met on the south side of Main Street, in front of a seamstress shop that was owned by a friend of Molly's, a pleasant, plump woman of advancing age who still had a mind as sharp as a tack and a wit to match. Julian had more than once been moved to near tears over one of Pauline's stories, funny as they were. As he and Radric stopped in front of her shop, he could see her through the window, leaning over one of her apprentices as the younger girl worked, correcting her stitching, no doubt. Lauren stopped a few paces in front of them, a vaguely amused smirk on his face. A pleasant day, constables, he said by way of greeting. It was, in fact, stifling. And humid. The back of Julian's shirt felt like it was going to be permanently stuck to his back by sweat, and he could really use a drink or six. Lauren, however, looked as though he was not sweating at all. To what do I owe the pleasure this time? Why did you try to enter our crime scene this morning? Radric asked without preamble. Lauren blinked twice, cocking his head to the side almost like a bird. For a second, he almost looked surprised by the question, but that was surely not the case. He had to know Lapola would have told them about his visit. Finally, he rolled his shoulders in a relaxed shrug and answered, Mere curiosity. I've seen a number of murder scenes in the past, but only rarely one so gruesome as that. Radric's eyes narrowed. You went inside after Master Lapolo told you to leave? There was more than a hint of steel in his voice. He was clearly irritated. Julian was right there with him. Lauren waved his free hand dismissively. Hardly. But the events in that flat are the talk of the town. Or hadn't you heard? A single eyebrow quirked upwards, mockingly. Remarkably similar to how you found the man in the woods, hmm? Radric rested the palm of his left hand on his sword's pommel. What are you about here, Magister Haverstead? As I said, just idle curiosity. Lauren looked away from the two lawmen, his expression relaxed, almost bored. If you will excuse me. Then he stepped to the side and around Radric and commenced to resume his walk down the street. 
Radric turned with the mage and watched him walk away, his expression stony. He's up to something, Julian said, and I'll wager it's not good. Radric frowned ever so slightly. Perhaps. Then he strained his shoulders and drew in a quick breath. Turning toward Julian, he grinned quickly. At least we know he doesn't have Melanie. That's something. Julian nodded, but could not quite return the grin. It was something. Not much, but something. Twelve. An Oath Betrayed Balin and Ilsa owned a small cottage on the west side of town off Cannery Street, not far from Julian's own flat, as it turned out. Down a small intersecting street that more than fit the term alley, as far as Julian knew it had no official name, it was just that alley over there to the locals, that ran between a pair of large boarding houses where the younger fishingmen tended to live. The cottage, though small by any standards, had a certain charm to it. It was obvious that Balin cared for their dwelling. The roof and shutters were in good repair, and while the sides did not exactly gleam, they clearly had a fresh coating of paint done this summer. A well-ordered garden lay off to the cottage's left side, planted with all manner of vegetables and a couple of small trees. Fruit-bearing, Julian was sure. All told, the cottage was a home, well and true. It seemed a shame to bring more trouble to this family's door. Radric knocked on the front door, his expression stolid. He did not like being here either, but there were questions that needed answering. The door cracked open a short moment later, and a young boy looked out at them. Maybe seven years old, with dirty blonde hair and eyes that were red as though he had been crying. And why not? He wore a rumpled off-white shirt and baggy brown pants, and no shoes. Devon, Radric said, recognizing the boy from Balin's funeral. Is your mother home? Devon bit his lip and nodded quickly then disappeared from view, leaving the door ajar. The sound of low conversation followed briefly, and then the door opened fully. Ilsa was small and lean, with short-cut hair that was blonde but these days going more to silver. She wore a simple light blue dress with little white flowers at the hem and collar, and a white sash about her waist. She wiped her hands on a stained piece of cloth and looked at them with the expression of a person who had just sucked on a lemon. What do you want? Her voice was strained weary, to go along with her sunken eyes. She had not been getting much sleep these last few days from the look of her. We don't mean to intrude. Well, you are. Ilsa began to push the door closed. Radric stepped forward, raising his hands in a mollifying gesture. Please, Ilsa, we need to ask you some questions in light of what's happened. She scowled. You weren't so keen on questions when it was just my Balin. But now that that hussy died too, now you want to talk with me. She snorted, then slammed the door in Radric's face. Radric took a step back from the door, opened confusion on his face. He looked at Julian and spread his hands helplessly. What was that? Julian just shook his head, as stunned as Radric looked. He had never heard anyone in town say anything bad about Beverly. At least, not openly. There were the rumors, spoken in whispers behind her back, but they mostly dealt with speculation about why she seemed to have no interest in men at all. There was never any hint of implication that she was of low character. I don't know, Julian said. It's almost like... He trailed off as a thought struck him. It was out of the question, completely. And yet... What if... He stopped, cleared his throat, then started again. Molly told me that on the night Balin died, Ilsa accused Helena of helping her sister fool around with him. 
He leaned a little closer to Radric and said more softly, What if that was more than just insecurity speaking? Radric's eyebrows climbed high on his head, and his mouth dropped open for a second. Julian could see the wheel turning, though, and shortly he was all business again, his lips compressing into a grim scowl. If Beverly were seeing anyone, Helena would know. Julian nodded. She's holding out on us. The sun was just half its own width above the mountains to Lyttelton's east when Radric and Julian got to the little storefront that Helena and Beverly had converted into their classroom, one building down from a leatherworking shop and across from a carpenter. It was not exactly the location Julian would necessarily have picked for a school. He would have thought of some place more quiet, pristine. But then, the sisters' business was thriving and had been for years, so they were doing something right. Who was Julian to criticize? Helena was just closing up when they arrived, the children having long since gone back to their parents for the evening. As they approached, Julian watched her locking up the front door to their school with a mixture of admiration and confusion. He did not think he could have brought himself to do anything the day after his twin and best friend had been buried, let alone try to teach a bunch of demanding children. Hell, he was surprised the parents sent them at all this day. But then, looking at the determined set of her face as Helena turned away from the door, it almost concealed the pain in her eyes. Almost. He would have given good odds she stalked over to each house herself to collect the kids for their lessons. That took some gumption. Helena saw him and Radric approaching, and offered them a quick, tired smile that almost, but not quite, reached her eyes. Constables? Julian returned her smile with one of his own. Good evening, Helena, he said, as gently as he could. Radric merely nodded politely in greeting. They stood there in silence for a short while, just looking at each other. For his part, Julian was not sure how to bring it up all of a sudden. How do you ask a grieving woman if her twin had been engaging in adultery? He cleared his throat. We need to ask you a... delicate question. Helena drew back slightly, her expression becoming guarded. Her eyes flicked between Julian and Radric, questioningly. Julian drew a quick breath, then found he could not figure out how to say it. Was Beverly in a relationship with Balin? Julian recoiled almost as much as Helena did, the way Radric just threw it out there. He glanced aside at his friend. Radric wore the smallest of scowls, his brow furrowing in focused disapproval. Julian was a bit shocked. Radric was normally more politic than this. Helena swallowed and wiped her hands along the front of her dress, black today to reflect her grieving status. For that matter, why was Ilsa not dressed for mourning? Helena opened her mouth to speak, then shut it and lowered her eyes. Then, almost imperceptibly, she nodded. Tell us, Radric said. Helena did not look up. If anything, she seemed to shrink back even further. It started six months ago. Balin helped her with a problem parent who had been harassing her. She... Helena bit back a sob. She had not been interested in men at all. Not for years. Not since Ferdrick. She wiped her nose on the back of her hand, like a little kid, and glanced up at them quickly. If she expected them to recognize the name or see some significance in it, Julian did not know what it was. After a moment, she began again. Balin must have heard about the harassment from one of the other men. He... She shrugged. Well, whatever he did, word got back to Beverly, and she wanted to thank him. One thing led to another, and... 
She trailed off, lowering her eyes back to the ground. They met once or twice a week in his hideaway, somewhere out in the Glamourwood. She was clearly conflicted. On the one hand, she had to be happy that her sister had found joy, if not love, in her life, and not to mention sex. On the other hand, Beverly's actions were shameful in the extreme. Julian was not sure how he would have reacted if his brother had done the same. Strange that he had not thought about his brother until just then. It had been how many months now since he and Radric fled their unit in the army? And how many months, hell, years, before that since he last saw Jared? He must be a full-grown man by now, laying waste to entire platoons of maidens, judging by the way the schoolgirls used to swoon over his every smile. Julian almost found himself chuckling over his brother's imagined antics, until he remembered where he was, who he was speaking to, and the circumstances. And even though he was more than halfway expecting it, the outright admission made Julian's stomach sink a bit. There was the answer, to both questions. Ilsa was not keeping with the normal mourning rituals, because she was not truly mourning. Ilsa was their killer. Okay, the plot thickens. The mystery is deeper, but still unresolved. Oh my gosh, who did it? You have to tune in next week to find out. Or, next couple steps in finding out. There are 36 chapters in the book. Um, if you can't wait that long, through the next you know three months or so of podcast episodes, you can always go buy the book. My website is ssnstorytelling.com. You can get through it through kingswood.com also. And um, you get books straight from me, and I make more money that way. You can also get it through Amazon and Apple and iBooks and Kobo and all the other places. Uh, I make less money through them. Either way, though, I'll get money. So if you want to go buy the book, then that's awesome. Um, but definitely, no matter what you do, uh, tell everybody what you're doing around here. Spread the word. Uh, like, subscribe, do all the things depending what channel or what where you're watching or listening this to the requirement will be different um but yeah please help spread the word and come back next week uh where we will do the next two chapters and fill you in on any news if there's anything important to tell which <laughs> the way things go there may or may not be i guess we'll see um but yeah i hope you enjoyed these chapters i'll talk to you next week until then don't do anything i wouldn't do Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>